This is Tending Seeds, a podcast about my adventures in homesteading and herbalism. I'm Sarah Schuster, and I'll be your host. Thanks for being here today. I want to start today's episode with some apologies to everyone else here in Middle Tennessee. It seems like every time I sit down to work on this podcast, it results in massive thunderstorms and flash floods. So I'm really sorry. (laughs) It looks like we might actually have a dry day tomorrow before the rains come back for the weekend. But yeah, everything here is just so soggy. There's standing water all over our property. A lot of the roads near us had ponding water and were flooded over today. Really looking forward to some drier weather and some sun. But on a much happier note, did you all catch that beautiful moon last night? It was so gorgeous. The moonrises here on the farm are one of my favorite things ever, especially during winter when all of the trees are bare. On the homesteading front, I'm really happy to say that some good project progress has happened here over the last two weeks. I'd been feeling really stalled on working on my herb office, But a friend came over for a couple of hours and we got almost all of the wall insulation put up. Thanks, friend. Sometimes having a second pair of hands and another person to talk to makes such a huge difference in motivation. My goal for this coming weekend is to finish the last chunk of wall insulation and then move on to the ceiling. Once that's done, it should be much more palatable to hang out in there in terms of temperature, especially since it doesn't look to be warming up permanently anytime soon. I want to start including a section for zero waste tips and just all the great ways that that can help you both save money, live a little simpler, as well as just reducing your waste. A big one for me right now, since it's been so cold and rainy here, is that this is definitely prime soup weather for me. One of my favorite waste reduction tips is also one of the easiest, and it's that you can save your vegetable scraps to make your own vegetable broth. What I do is I just keep a container in my freezer pretty much all the time. And as I'm cooking other meals, I'll toss things into that Tupperware container, like onion skins, carrot ends, celery ends, just general, you know, vegetable scraps like that. Whenever that container gets full, I'll wait until I know that I'm going to be around the house all day and I'll dump it into my stock pot, cover everything with water, and then just let it simmer all day on low. I also like to add herbs depending on the season. Uh, Some of my favorite herbs to add are things like burdock root, thyme, and astragalus. Mushrooms are another favorite of mine that really just add such a great depth of flavor when you're making a, a broth like that. So I'll let that cook down all day and then strain it. And I'll either go ahead and make a soup for dinner that night using that broth, or I'll go ahead and put the broth into mason jars in the fridge for later in the week. It definitely never lasts long around here. I know some people talk about making broth and then freezing it in like ice cubes and things like that. It just never lasts long enough for me to bother doing that. It's going to get used up. Um, You can use it for soup bases or use it, you know, to sub out the water when you're making rice or quinoa and things like that. It's really delicious. It's a great way to incorporate more herbs into your life also by adding those medicinal herbs into your broth. And it's just a nice way to put your vegetable scraps to use for an an additional time. And then you can still add them to your compost pile afterwards. Okay. I put out a call on Instagram last week asking you guys if you had any questions for me that you wanted me to address on the podcast, and I got some amazing responses. Some of them could easily be episodes of their own, so I won't be able to get to all of them today, but I promise I will answer them over the course of the next couple of episodes. Thank you so much for sending them in, and feel free to keep them coming. This first question comes from Jamie, who asks, Where is the place on your land that you feel most spiritually alive? 
I love this question so much. And in typical fashion, I'm having a hard time narrowing it down to just one spot. So I'm going to cheat and give two answers. Our land here is 13 acres with about three of those acres running alongside a fairly long driveway that is open field at the moment and hopefully will soon be covered in herbs and veggies. Past the house is the rest of the acreage, which is wooded and has loads of elevation changes. My first spot where I feel most spiritually alive is standing under the largest tree towards the back of those three open acres. I can stand there and look out over the open field and just feel all of the possibility waiting there, all of the plants that will grow there later this season. It's also a gorgeous vantage point to watch the sunset from, which the people who lived here previously must have thought as well, because there's a rusted out patio swing underneath the tree that I hope to clean up and refinish at some point. The other place on this land where I feel the most alive and connected is right at the beginning of the nine acres of woods. It's wooded, but even when the canopy is filled out, a lot of light still comes through in this spot. The terrain starts to slope down and there's an old logging road that winds through the woods. The deer use it now as one of their main paths through the property, and I often see them disappear in this direction around dusk. There's some large deadfall along the trail, and when you stand at the entrance to the woods, the root system of one large fallen tree is pointed towards you. It's a spot where I often walk to and stand quietly for several minutes at the end of the day, letting my senses stretch out around me as far as I can, just observing as much as possible. This spot has a wonderful, energizing feel to it, and I always feel restored after being there. Thanks so much for asking this, Jamie. It was great to spend some time thinking in detail about the spots on this land that I've already fallen in love with after just a few months of living here, and I'm really looking forward to how my answer to this question will hopefully evolve over time. Our main topic for today is also from a listener question. Charity asks, what herbal program of study are you following and why? What should you look for in a program? What do you need to know if practicing in Tennessee? Thanks so much for the question, Charity. This is a huge topic, and I'll do my best to answer your questions. To go along here with my normal disclaimer of not being a doctor, I'll also add that I'm not a lawyer, and so please research for yourself anything I mention here regarding certification or working as an herbalist and different state laws. I'll happily share what I know at this point, though, and I'm always learning more. I'm currently working through the Chestnut School's Herbal Immersion course, which is a 1,000-hour online program. It's a self-paced program, and my goal is to finish by the end of the summer, which I should be able to do so long as I keep on track doing one module per month. Uh, There are 18 modules total in the program. They actually give you lifetime access to the entire program. If you want to get the 1,000-hour certificate, you need to finish within two and a half years of signing up. I set the goal for myself of one module per month. So hopefully I'll meet that goal and finish in a year and a half. When you're looking at different herb schools, there are definitely a wide range and variety out there. In general, most schools offer two or three programs that are about a year or a year and a half long each. Again, I am speaking in very general terms here. Every school is going to be different and you definitely want to do your own research here. The first year or first program is generally going to be an overview of an introductory Materia Medica of herbs, as well as knowledge on different forms of herbal medicine making, things such as salves, tinctures, teas, etc. You'll often see this referred to as a family herbalist program, because it's designed for someone to feel confident enough upon completion 
to take care of common ailments and illnesses for themselves and their immediate family members. Additional programs of study beyond this, usually for one or two more years, are usually called something along the lines of community herbalist or clinical herbalist programs. These are designed to go into much greater depth and prepare you for working with a wider range of people beyond your family and friends. Getting into clinical herbalist territory means that you're going to be learning about doing extensive intakes with complete strangers and building a case history for them. While a family herbalist is often dealing with things as they pop up, a cold, a sprained ankle, other sort of acute situations like that, a clinical herbalist is usually going to be working with a client repeatedly over an extended period of time, and they might be addressing ongoing issues such as long-term stress management or an autoimmune disease. So if you're looking into herbal programs, you need to ask yourself what your long-term goal is, as that will determine how far you want to go. You might just want to stop at the one-year program if you're just looking to make things for friends and immediate family members and to know what to do there. For me personally, I know I want to be a clinical herbalist, and so there are good odds that I will always be in one sort of herbal program pretty much for the rest of my life. Never stop learning, right? So there are lots of different programs out there, both online and in person, that are amazing programs. And I don't think you can just take one and call it quits. Definitely go back, find other programs, always keep learning. For this first program, I ended up choosing the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine because an online program was the best fit for my life right now. I would have preferred to do an in-person course of study, But at the time, there weren't any herbal schools here locally that offered what I wanted in terms of coursework. I did a lot of research and I found that there are definitely some great schools not too far from here, uh, out in East Tennessee, over the border into North Carolina. There's a school down in Alabama. They all seemed like good options. The programs are usually eight to 10 months per year and you're at the school in person for one weekend per month. You usually you know, drive down on a Friday, have full days of classes on Saturday and Sunday, and then depending on the length of the drive, come back Sunday night or Monday. You'll then have additional coursework to do on your own between meetings. So you know, four weeks of homework before you meet up again the next month. I really would have loved to do one of these programs in person, but right now with everything we have going on, Just having moved to this land, uh, trying to get the farm started, taking three days off per month just wasn't going to be feasible for me in terms of time away, Um, but also, you know, just the added costs of travel and lodging to go out of town each month for an out-of-town trip. I definitely hope to do one of these programs in the future, but the Chestnut program has been a great way to cover the knowledge I need for my first quote-unquote family herbalist level program. So as I mentioned, when I started my herbal program over a little over a year ago now. There wasn't anything locally happening that really fit my needs for a school, but that has actually started to change, and I am super excited about that. There is now someone here teaching locally near Nashville. It's not like a full-on school program that you sign up for, you know, eight to ten months now, but they are offering classes pretty regularly. I was able to take a few classes with them last year, and I've already signed up for several more for later on in 2019. Getting to learn in person is great, especially when you're doing things like plant walks and plant identification. And I think it's also just really nice to have that sense of community when you're hanging out in a room with a bunch of other aspiring herbalists. It's just a really great energy. Uh, Additionally, there are a lot of really great herbal conferences that happen throughout the year, which gives me a chance to take classes from a huge range of herbalists on all sorts of topics. 
The biggest piece of advice I can give someone who's looking for an herbal program is to do your research and ask around. There are social media groups for just about everything today. So go out, join some plant and herb groups and ask people what programs they've done and what they did and didn't like about them. Some people might be hesitant to speak ill of a program in a public forum because it's a small world out there in a lot of ways. So give people the option to message you privately too. I definitely asked around about a few programs that I was interested in and some of the ones that looked the coolest from websites and stuff turned out to not be the thing that I went with after talking to some people that had actually gone through them or had personal one-on-one actions with some of the instructors that kind of steered them away. And I'm not saying those people are bad people or bad herbalists, but everyone learns in different ways and everyone has different personalities. And there are people out there that are awesome herbalists that maybe teach in ways that don't quite resonate with me and they might resonate really well with you. So definitely just give yourself that option by gathering as much information as you can ahead of time. Poke around on a school's website and social media so you can get a feel for their attitude and if it's going to line up with yours. And if you're looking at an online program, be realistic about your own needs and what kind of student, you know, are you going to be a good student or not? Um, And when I say a good student, do you have, do you have study skills? Are you comfortable doing a self-paced program or would you prefer a program with set homework deadlines? Look at who the teachers are for the program. Are they knowledgeable? Are they respected in the community? Have they walked their talk and practiced herbalism for a while before turning around and teaching it to others? That's a problem you see popping up more and more as lots of little herb schools are getting started. Again, I'm not putting down anyone in particular. I just think it's on us as potential students to do our research. Same thing goes when you're looking at books. You know, there are lots of herb books out there that are written by people who have never practiced herbalism before, have never actually done a client intake. They've just read a lot of other books and gotten other materials from other herbalists and kind of cobbled them all together and put out a, you know, put out a book. And some of that information may or may not be right. There's a pretty well-known herbalist named Paul Bergner. And I remember listening to a podcast episode he did where he literally was just debunking commonly held, you know, herbal myths, basically, that have just gotten passed on from one herbal book to another, because people aren't actually doing their own research or in testing things out on their own. So when I look for a teacher, I want to know what's their background? What have they done? How have they walked their talk? How long have they been practicing herbalism on their own? What firsthand, you know, knowledge and experience do they have in the plant world? All right, so I hope that gives you some starting points if you're interested in finding an herbal program. If you want to ask me other questions about the chestnut program that I'm doing right now, I'm more than happy to answer them. Um, I will tell you right now, though, there's no need to message me privately because I really have nothing bad to say. I love the program. It's really informative. It covers a lot of things that I was looking for, and I've been really happy with it. It is a self-paced program, though. There's no one checking up on me to say, you know, hey, you haven't turned, you know, anything in in a week or anything like that. Um, It's on me to motivate myself and get it done. So if that doesn't work for you, if you need the interaction of someone, you know, setting deadlines and due dates for you, it may not be the right program for you. The other part of Charity's question had to do with the legal or business side of being an herbalist. A 
huge thing I want to put out there is that there is no licensing body for herbalists in the United States. This ties back into how I'm always saying I'm not a doctor because I'm not. And part of the deal with being able to be an herbalist and not get in trouble for illegally practicing medicine is to make sure that I'm very careful in what I do and don't say. For instance, a doctor has patients and can diagnose them with an illness and prescribe medicine for them. I cannot do any of those things. As an herbalist, I don't have patients. I have clients. A client might come to me with a medical diagnosis that they received from their doctor or another member of their healthcare team, and they might be looking for me to offer them some herbal support. The keyword here is support. The client is in control and calling all the shots. They are in charge. I'm not here to agree or disagree with that diagnosis or suggest that someone make any changes to any medications that they are on. Um, If someone wants to do that, their first step needs to be to discuss it with the person who put them on those meds in the first place. And also, I would want them to tell that person that they are working with an herbalist as well. As an herbalist, I cannot make a diagnosis or prescribe medication. What I can do is offer up suggestions for herbs and practices that I think would blend well with whatever other healing modalities and medicine that client is already utilizing. Ultimately, though, it's up to the client to decide if they want to take my suggestion or not, and also to let their primary care physician know about any herbs they are thinking about taking. This might sound like a game of semantics that I'm playing here, you know, patients versus clients, prescribing versus suggesting, but I really don't see it that way. I feel that when I'm working with a client, it's much more of a partnership between myself, the client, and the plants to try to find things that would be beneficial to that client. When dealing with a licensed doctor, there usually feels like there is this explicit power dynamic of the doctor telling the patient what to do, and there's not much space or room for discussion there. Ultimately, when I'm working with a client, they have the final say on any course of action, and I'm there in a position of trying to be of service to them. I think if you're going to start working as an herbalist, you should protect yourself in the same ways that other business owners would, such as having liability insurance and also setting up a business entity for yourself, such as an LLC or S-Corp. And definitely follow the things I mentioned above to make sure you can never be accused of practicing medicine without a license. That would be a huge no-no and definitely land you in hot water really, really quickly. And so again, that's why it's so important to understand the different terms that you are and are not allowed to use. All right, Charity, I hope that was helpful for you and anyone else interested in an herbal career. There's probably a lot more about this topic that we could cover in additional episodes, like becoming an accredited herbalist through the American Herbalist Guild, which is definitely one of my long-term goals. But for the sake of time, we'll leave it there for today. If anyone out there has further questions about this topic or things they want to discuss, please feel free to reach out to me. I would definitely be open to doing a follow-up episode. And at some point in a couple of years down the line, I'm going to be looking to, uh, to join the American Herbalist Guild, um, not just as a student member now, but hopefully as an accredited herbalist. It's going to be an interesting process. I would definitely... We'll talk about that whenever it comes time to do that, but that's a ways down the road for me. So I think that's about all we have time for today. Thank you all so much for listening. And again, feel free to contact me with any questions, comments, topics you would like me to cover. You can always reach out to me by email at foxandelder at gmail.com. I'm also on Instagram at the same handle, foxandelder, all one word. 
I will be back with new episodes again on the first and third Wednesday of each month. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.